This is Patrick Daly and welcome to Interlinks. Interlinks is a program about connections, international business, supply chains and globalization and their effects on our life, our work and our travel over recent times. Today in the show, we will be talking to Niall Rock, Managing Director at Storage Systems Limited based in Dublin here in Ireland. So storage systems provide versatile space saving solutions, storage solutions through several worldwide brands such as Dexian and Brunzeal for industrial and commercial sectors. So while storage may seem like a fairly mundane activity, these days, the efficient layout, storage, handling and movement of inventory in the warehouses and distribution centers of manufacturers, distributors and logistics services companies is a high value add activity and a key link in the global supply chains that support the standard of living that we've all become accustomed to. So hopefully after talking to Niall today, we will have a better appreciation of this. So welcome Niall and thanks very much for being here with us today. Uh, thanks Patrick and thanks for having us on, on your program. I'm delighted that I was asked to share my little bit of knowledge of, of the storage world. You're very welcome, delighted to have you. So to kick off, could you tell me a little bit about your, your career and how you came to be the managing director at Storage Systems Limited. Okay, this is this is quite a, a simple, a simple story to be honest. Um, back in 1985, when I left school, my father just started a business. Um, actually, he started it back in 1976, and when my youngest brother was was born. Uh, before that, he was the sales director for a a storage equipment company called Sanctuary Engineering way, way back in the, in the 70s. And when my youngest brother was born in 76, uh, like all good women, my mother said to my father, out you go and do this for yourself. So he handed in his notice with, with no money. Our first warehouse was the attic in the house. Uh, and then after that school in 85, um, wanting to make money, I was coerced into joining the business. And uh, I joined in 1985 as a, as a young sales guy and uh, went to college, did my degree at nighttime over four or five years, um, progressed through the company uh, as sales director. And then in 2016, I was made managing director of the company. And uh, your, your college, I think you, did you study marketing and economics? Is that what it was? I did, I did indeed, yes. In, in the old DIT uh, world, uh, which is now uh, um, TUD and yeah, uh, yeah. TCU was involved as well. And um, how did that, how did those studies help your, your work or your career or did they? <laughs> uh, they did. Um, I suppose in, in those days, the sales world was, was completely different. It was all about cold calling. It was all about marketing was really only beginning uh, to evolve. Uh, I was involved with the Marketing Institute for many years. And it was all about getting in front of the customer and trying to promote the product. You know, we used to, the four P's we used to always say, uh, place, price, product, and promotion. And that's what sales was about. But uh, so that's what that's why I went into the marketing, to be honest with you, um, was, was to get in front of customers and try and sell the products. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about Santry Engineering. That kind of rings kind of distant bells in, in my memory. What, what, what became of them? What, what were they doing at that time? What became of them? Well, um, back in... Back in those days, there was very, very few manufacturers of, of racking and shelving systems is what they were called. Um, I think there was only two in the country. One was Santry Engineering. They were based in Santry and the other was Parsons, which uh, predominantly were based in Hote. 
And in those days, pallet racking was very, very basic and shelving systems were very basic. It was old nut and bolt style shelving used to call it. So they, they were the, the two companies that manufactured and my father was, uh, was involved in sanitary engineering. I think in the, maybe it's a coincidence my father left, but I think not too many years later, uh, they closed up shop. I think predominantly because access to EU, access to UK market, people could import racking systems and shelving systems uh, much, much cheaper and easier. I think back in the 70s, every racking system was a welded system. So therefore transportation costs were very high. And then uh, within, I suppose, just evolution of manufacturing racking system became knockdown systems and were easily to transport around Europe and hence the price reduced to get them into the country in Ireland. I suppose it's it's fairly obvious from the name storage systems what, what business you're in, but it's a bit more involved and sophisticated than that these days. So what is the business of storage systems today and how have the products and services evolved over the decades, say since 1985? Yeah, I suppose if someone was to ask me back in 1985, what did we do? We would ream off a load of products like pallet racking, shelving systems, mezzanine floors, long span shelving. You know, that would be the typical way you describe your business. But, but today it's all about solutions. We need to supply automated solutions, e-commerce solutions, solutions that suit, suit the environment we're working in today. Uh, we also have, an, as you said, mentioned earlier on, a commercial branch to our wing. So therefore, it would have been office shelving, archive shelving. Now we're looking at library solutions, museum solutions, archive solutions. And then I suppose the third part of our business now is, is just the involvement of the world itself. We have an e-commerce shop ourselves, um, and that's been growing and growing about 150% year on year in providing consumables, both in the B2B environment and the B2C environment. Uh, iFile Technologies, is that a separate entity or a division of storage systems? Um, that's a very interesting <laughs> conversation to have. iFile Technologies is an idea we came up with about many years ago. Um, Deal, haven't been dealing within the uh, archive industry and the file industry. We noticed that the HSC in particular, um, hospitals were, were spending a huge amount of money offsite in a data records company. And uh, we came up with a solution to basically turn all the medium storm files into a digital file um, and therefore reduce the cost of offsite storage and also it will be a platform which could be shared amongst um, all the hospital uh, hospitals in the country. Um, at the time, the HSC were very, very impressed with, with the system, but money talks and the budgets and infrastructure in particular within the existing hospitals wasn't there. So it's some, something we kind of kicked to touch um, after a while, but I was delighted to hear uh, in the recent announcement that the new children's hospital is going to be uh, fully digitalized within the, the medical records environment. Um, but yes, we, we'll wait and see, see what happens. <laughs> so um, how have you seen your client base evolve over the years and how have their requirements changed and, and how have you had to adapt to those changes? Because I imagine... Back in 85 was probably the, the beginning of the, the, the time when the 
multinationals were coming here and they've really transformed the economy since then. So how has how has the client base evolved and how have their requirements changed on you? Oh, dramatically. Um, back back in the 80s and 90s, it, it was predominantly all about storage capacity. You know, what, what you could get into the footprint that was available, whether it be on a single level or a multi-tiered level. Um, but with the multinationals coming in and, and the tr- third-party logistics companies in particular, it was all about efficiency and all about uh, the drive to improve the, the pick rate and the picking process for the end user, which is the customer. So therefore we had to look at layouts in more detail, how we get products up and down into the various floors or how, how in particular about the, the, the product placements so the ABCs came into the marketplace where, where we would map out, our customers would map out where they would place particular pallets or particular products on shelves and racks to increase the picking and get the product to the customer in a quicker and a more efficient manner. Mm. The way the business seems to be set up is the the materials handling equipment, the the equipment that people are using to put inventory on and off racks and the storage equipment industry, they seem to be kind of separate. Why is it that way? And are there any examples of it being integrated? And is that ever something you would look at or what's what's going on there? Um, Very good question. What's really going on there is that particularly with my company, we're all about providing solutions. And some um, materials handling companies and some racking companies um, uh, talk to each other. Uh, but for us, we educate ourselves what's on the marketplace for materials handling uh, companies, and we provide the best solution to our client. Well, we found in the past that if you, if you, as they say, get into bed with one particular company, they might not have all the offerings that you want to provide to, to your customer. So um, that, that's, that's where we've been involved, is, is, is dealing with all the materials handling companies to provide the best solution for our end users, which is our customer at the end of the day. And what's your geographical reach? Do you supply to the whole island of Ireland or do you any work outside of Ireland? Uh, we supply to the whole, probably to the whole Ireland of Ireland, of Ireland, Ireland of Ireland, should I say. Um, but we do, some of our customers will be very high profile customers. And um, for them, we have supplied as far reach as, as Africa, uh, Europe, uh, Scandinavia, um, various other parts of the world where they, they like to deal with us. And that has predominantly come from, you know, the headquarters being of the buyers being in Ireland for EU companies. So they like to deal with, with people who are on the supplier vendor list. And once we can provide the services and obviously the installation labor across Europe and, and further, uh, they're happy to deal with us. Yeah, that's, that's an example of um, lots of Irish services companies engineering companies consultancy companies project management companies have developed internationally on the back of international companies that they've been working for here in ireland so that's a that's a pattern i think that's been repeated a lot yeah i mean i remember when i started in business one of my neighbors was the founder of of, um, malone engineering and uh, they've expanded now all around the world. So uh, yeah, it's absolutely, um, uh, definitely a lot of companies in Ireland expanding throughout the rest of Europe and, and worldwide. 
And your suppliers, of course, are, I think, probably all outside Ireland. So you've had to interact with different cultures and different business cultures and so on. So what's your experience been of that? Um, What have been some of the cultural differences that you've had to adjust to? Yeah, I suppose before I get into that, I suppose our our suppliers, we, we, we I always had the the ideology when I started uh, running the business is that, you know, we must have dedicated suppliers to provide our customers because continuity of service is very important to us. So, for example, we could be dealing with storage systems in the 80s and we still want to provide the same racking and same storage solution for them in, in the noughties. So our, our, although our suppliers have changed name over various uh, takeovers and mergers, they have still been the same origin from the 80s. So we've had a very, very good relationship with uh, our suppliers, uh, Dexine and Brunzeal in particular. Uh, but they do come from, from different cultural backgrounds. Um, I think sometimes they, they don't understand how big Ireland actually is, even though it's a small country. It's a very, very big network within Europe. As I often say to them, we're, we're, the, uh, we're the closest or the only uh, English-speaking European uh, EU country to America, which makes us a very valuable asset when it comes to the American multinationals. So although we're a small island, we do punch above our weight, and uh, it's important for uh, our big European suppliers to realise that. Um, but yeah, there's, look, they're, they're, they're Dutch. They have... Uh, shutdowns in summertime which we can't understand and the the swedes and finland have peculiar holiday take takes takes but uh yeah we we've been with them a long time and we understand how everything works between us 93.9 dublin south fm one of the cultural difficulties that i notice in this industry i i worked in this the storage equipment industry in in spain back in the 80s and 90s and people, um, distributors in Ireland and the UK would ask for budget prices. And the Spanish didn't quite understand this. They used to want oh. to engineer everything to death. They yeah. never wanted to make a mistake. Is that something you've you've come across? Yeah, that, that's, yeah. Getting getting a quotation is not getting a quotation. It, it's getting a full a full design <laughs> spec. And I don't, yeah, I think they're afraid of making a mistake. Another, another little cultural difference we find is within the UK, you know, um, we have instances here where we can receive purchase orders from clients we've been doing for years for hundreds of thousands of euros on, on the shake of a hand or an email. And the UK can't get over this. They, they seem to contract everything to debt. Um, they have to have a contract and the clauses for, for everything within their purchase orders or their, or their orders they receive from their clients. So when I ring them up sometimes and say, look, I've just got to fit out for 40,000 pallets in, in, in Dublin. Um, please go ahead. <laughs> Don't have to draw up the contract. No, no, no. We, we shook hands over a pint and, and we're going to go. I don't understand that. Yeah. It's, uh, it's interesting as well, that comment you made about um, Ireland being small. I think it's not only some of our um, uh, partners overseas don't realize how big Ireland is. I think a lot of people in Ireland don't fully realize how big and important Ireland has become as an economy. Um, And we still, some of us still have a kind of a small town mentality when really we're well, we're well beyond that. 
and you see it you see it falling away you even see it in sports falling away you know the way Ireland becoming comfortable now with being uh, favourites and going out and performing and winning regardless absolutely. so uh, that, that's a process I think the whole country is going through yeah. what do you think? Oh absolutely yeah you're, you're 100% right you know um, we, we need to get this small town mentality out of our heads you know we are we are a big player all you've got to do is, 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 is look at the companies that are existing here you know, look at the revenue that's generated here. Um, you know, we're, we're a big player in, in, in the world, particularly in the logistics world, where I, I sit anyway. The recent um, PwC annual CEO survey that's uh, just out, and it showed uh, in relation to Ireland that the three areas of highest concern for CEOs were uh, sustainability skills and automation. So I was wondering whether this resonates with the changes you're seeing coming through and the types of solutions that uh, companies are asking you to provide. Oh, absolutely. Well, automation would be the key for us. Um, I mean, as I mentioned earlier on, now, now our products are not named products, it's called solutions, you know, automated solutions, e-commerce solutions. Yeah, we, we've, we've seen a, a massive, a massive uh, change in the culture within, within the businesses we deal with. Um, but, you know, what people have got to understand that automation isn't just robots. You know, when you talk automation, people have this scary feeling that it's you want to put robots into their business. We don't sell, I mean, we've sold one robot in our lifetime. We don't sell robots. But for us, you know, it's about replacing the repetitive tasks which people do on a daily basis with an automated system. And that can either be both digital or physical. So people would be very familiar with physical uh, automation, as I say, robots. But for us, um, we do pallet shuttle, we do movos, we do tornadoes, even conveyor systems. AGVs transferring goods, they can all a huge part in, um, you know, re reducing time consuming activities and, um, you know, eliminating labor intensive duties as well. I mean, the key for us is to um, increase efficiency, increase quality, uh, reduce pick errors and uh, increase safety as well. Um, so what people don't realize as well, that there's a whole world of digital autom automation. Yeah, pick the voice, pick the light, ERP systems, WMS systems. Even a simple thing like, you know, eliminating a printer is automation, where the orders can go directly to uh, the pickers via wearables or, as I say, headsets, or even to a, a screen with a, with a VSU. Um, you know, the days of, of the, the 80s and 90s of multiple guys or girls running around warehouses up and down staircases with trolleys and pieces of papers is, is slowly and slowly diminishing. Um, it's all about increasing the pick rate and more importantly, increasing the quality of pick to make sure that the end user uh, receives the goods they, they want. So we're talking about 99.9% .9 pick accuracies, basically. Yeah, and I guess the the the, the fears of um, people being displaced are probably overdone because with the complexity of product profiles and with the the way people are moving towards e-commerce, there's there are far more orders to be picked and it's far more labor intensive to do. So therefore, the automation really is coming in to to help rather than to displace. Oh yeah. 
Totally, totally agree. Yeah, and, and also as well, it's coming in because there is such a, a shortage of labour as well. I mean, we got to factor that in as well. If anyone's running a business and trying to get staff, it's, it's pretty impossible these days. But no, you're, you're right. I mean, what we try and do is we get, you know, we get to a situation where people can pick and replace at the same time or the same day within the same task. Uh, you know, reallocating staff to, to uh, tasks to, to a lot of staff. And as you say, um, reducing reducing the number of staff for the multiple picks that have to be done by increased increased orders coming in, and bringing automation in, into the into the field of play to uh, keep the number of staff picking that quality or that increase in in, in orders at the same time. Yeah, I'm I'm aware actually of a of a company here in Ireland who are implementing a, a, an automated picking solution here. At the moment, um, it's robotic. It's going to cost me about four million euros. But they kind of bit the bullet. They realized during COVID, at the same time that they couldn't get people and there was more e-commerce, that they were really put to the pin of their collar to keep up. So they bit the bullet and they're going with this and they're not going to be laying anybody off. In fact, they'll probably be recruiting new people or people with higher qualifications and going down the the automation route, which is taking them in a kind of totally different level of professionalism and um, sophistication, if you like. So yeah, oh, absolutely. And to be honest with you, it's it's all about the return on investment as well. I mean, a lot of the systems we try and implement, we're looking at eighteen to twenty four months return, maximum three years. Um, people have got to realize as well that you know the youth of today are a, are a different breed compared to what I was when I was younger. I mean, they expect technology. Uh, they don't expect to pick up a piece of paper. They expect it to be on a screen. And they, they expect these innovations. And that's how you attract them coming to your business as well. Um, and another thing, uh, technology has evolved. Uh, for example, you can have uh, voice picking systems in your warehouse now on a, on, a, on a SaaS requirement for approximately about 120 euros a month per user. So it's becoming affordable. So it's it's a way of attracting staff to your business as well. So if you're running a third-party logistics, and at the moment your staff are running around with paper and running off up and down off uh, power pallet trucks, and you have an offering which shows them wearing wearables, pick the voice, and their life and ergonomics is much better, well, I know where they go. Yeah, <laughs> that's a hard fact. Yeah. So on this uh, on this podcast and other media that I put out, such as uh, video series and newsletters, I, I often talk about what's going on in world affairs in terms of shocks, say COVID, and trends, say an aging population, or or that evolution you mentioned there about people's preferences and work, and all of these things are impacting businesses as they look to implement their strategies in the future so what do you make what's your own view what do you make of what's going on in the world right now and how do you see it changing your own business strategy and the types of solutions that you'll be providing to customers over say the next five ten years i think i think the big change is looking after your staff and making sure there's good work-life balance from their point of view and i think I think we've got to be conscious of that both in our own business and when we're when we're designing uh, warehouse systems as well. I mean, as I say, the people are more intelligent these days, more savvy with technology, more educated. 
um, compared to many, many years ago where you came out of school and went into picking from a warehouse job. So I, I do think that the, you know, bringing automation in, looking at warehouse layouts, looking at location of your warehouse, looking at the equipment you supply is, is, is a massive part of getting that work-life balance for your staff uh, correct. I mean, we all do it. People are working from home now. Um, technology has advanced. So I, th- I think COVID has, has taught us a lot, of, a lot of things and has taught us a lot of good things. I mean, I hear today in the, in the news that they're, they're the survey of the, the four-day week and immediately as a business owner, you go, oh, my God, four-day week. How can we live with a four-day week? But, you know, my experience has been that, you know, um, when, the, when the working from home three days a week came in, your initial thoughts were, oh, they're going to be sitting at home and watching, watching the TV. But actually what we found is that uh, the staff are very productive. Um, it gave them a sense of ownership and it gave them responsibility. And I think that's been a huge learning curve for me is to is to let go a little bit and let the staff get on with, get on with the work. It's interesting, yeah. So as we come into the last few minutes, we might just change tack a little and uh, ask you maybe just a couple of questions about yourself. So when you're not working or thinking about the business, what kind of things do you like to do in the way of hobbies or other interests? Uh, golf is my passion. Massive golf, golf fan. And... Um, I only get to play once a week, but uh, no, I'm a huge, huge interest in golf. And obviously rugby is, is my second love as well. Excellent. And what, are you reading or listening to anything lately that you find inspiring that you'd recommend to listeners? Yeah, I am actually. Um, it's, it's quite topical on, on the weekend we've had. I'm reading a book at the moment about the All Blacks and what the All Blacks psyche can do for business. Um, I, the author escapes me at the moment, but... It goes into when uh, the All Blacks went through a dip and they hired uh, Graham Henry as, as the head coach. Uh, he wanted to transform form the team and he, uh, it's, the book is all about that. One of the poignant parts is that from the very beginning, he instilled team and leadership within, within the total team and not just within some of the players. And it's for the first duty after every game, the All Blacks played under Graham Henry's stewardship was to clean the dressing room after the game because he felt that it would bring the team unity and would uh, get the prima donna aspect out of their out of their psyche, which a lot of Premier League football clubs could do, to be honest. <laughs> and then another thing from the book, which, which sticks with me, is that he always uh, had a process and taught in place that when the team was at its very, very best, they still looked to see how they could be better for the next group of players coming through. So it brings it brings a lot of that into business that you you might think you're we're in a booming economy and everybody all everybody's full of business and full of orders and full of uh, activity but at some stage we got to be ready for the next dip and about bringing your staff through to the next level and, and improving every 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 day and every week and every month and every year. Yeah, it was always noticeable with the All Blacks that they never seemed to be complacent and it didn't it didn't matter whether we were playing a very strong team or a weak team, they just did what they were doing and they just kept doing it. Absolutely. Yeah. And he also, any prima donnas that did turn up, he got rid of them pretty quickly. <laughs> they were no good for the team. 
So uh, where can people find out more about uh, storage systems, um, your products and your services, so say websites and so on? Yeah, so the simplest is www.storagesystems.ie for our uh, industrial and commercial brands and storagesystems.shop for B2C and B2B products for online. Excellent. Well, many thanks, Niall, for being here with us today. It's been an absolute pleasure to have this chat with you. Thank you very much, Patrick, and delighted to talk to you. Thanks also to our listeners for tuning in again today. And be aware that if you enjoyed this episode, you can find the full series of over 120 episodes of Interlinks on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, ACAST, and other major podcast platforms. So until next time, keep well and stay safe.